0: thanks for joining for this episode of the Tech Spective podcast. Uh, my guest for this episode is uh, Mr. Jake Kuhn. So Jake, say uh, hello to everyone.
1: Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me, Tony.
0: Um, thanks for joining me. So um, give me a little bit um of you know your background, your 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 current role and kind of what you know you know you're with risk-based security, what risk space what risk-based security as a company is.
1: Yeah, that's a that's a big question, my friend. Um, How can I break this one down? Well, uh, we just celebrated our 10th birthday as a company. Yes, 10 years old, Um, startup, fully bootstrapped, never took any institutional money. Uh, I sort of joke these days that all these companies that raise all this money, saying they're billion dollar valuations, they're the unicorns. I sort of say we're the unicorn, took no money, profitable 10 years, but hey, you know, that's for maybe another episode. But, but yes, I'm one of the founders and currently the CEO of Risk-Based Security. At the core of what we do, we're a data company. We, we kind of have two mantras that we live by. You know, the first is better data matters, better data, better better cybersecurity outcomes, right? And then the other one that we say all the time is not just security, the right security. And if you're looking at the intelligence out there about what's going on in the world from a vulnerability standpoint, from a data breach standpoint, uh, and you and you overlap that with you know the intelligence about yourself, right? Your assets and what you're doing. Then you can prioritize. Then you can you can remediate.
0: Okay, let me, walk me through this part. So, so like you know, uh, you, you and I uh, already talked a little bit about previously. I was at at Tenable a few years ago, um, and you know, many many years before that, I already knew, you know, I, I, I already knew Ron Gula. I knew Jack Daniel. I, I mean, I know I know knew a lot of people at Tenable for years before I went there. Um, you know, but they're but you know, as as a company, it's like they were you know, when I first started writing about security. Like it was just Nessus. It was all about Nessus. And Nessus is you know still. I think if you go look at the you know uh, the top seventy five security tools, I believe Nessus is top five. Yeah. And you know, but then at some point they made a decision to 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 pull that bit back in uh, off of the open source uh, world and make a business model out of it and you see things like that you know there that that exists in a lot of places you know you look at like you know red hat linux it's like yep. you know well it's free i don't need to pay you for it but there is still a business model of there are there are still customers out there who are like yeah well i know i don't need to pay you for it but there are some things i want yeah that i want you to add on so correct me if i'm wrong but Doesn't that, isn't that sort of the evolution of VolnDB too? What like, wasn't VolnDB, you know, wasn't it just a free database of, of, of stuff at some point?
1: No, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I would, I would say that, you know, obviously, um, myself and a few founders were involved with the OSVDB project back in the day, but, but VolnDB is, is much, much different in terms of what we're doing, what we're tracking, what we're providing as a platform. Um, but yeah, I, I can totally relate to the, you know, when I was young and wishful thinking that I could get a whole bunch of people to come together to do good for everyone, and we all just work together. Uh, that's not really a thing, right? And you you can look at, um, and heck, I even had tons of conversation with, with Ron and Rinald and those guys back in the day about how do you how do you achieve what you want in terms of making the security industry better and actually solving problems but not sort of, uh, um, I'll just say, begging for people to help out because no one's going to you know, do those sorts of things. So yeah, I mean, I definitely relate to the, the best sort of things in my view of the world are, are coming up with a sustainable business model and then how you're able to uh, implement that as well as give back to your local communities or whatever your, whatever your goals are, much, much, much better approach. And you're seeing, you're seeing that happen in, in loads of different areas.
0: Yeah, well, and this is, a, I guess, a, a slightly tangential uh, point, but I'm, um, I'm not, I'm not, not a fan of open source. But one of the things I see when I look at open source is, okay, so you've got this project, and as long as it's, you know, it's, it's hot, it's popular, you've got all these people there, everyone's contributing, uh, great things are happening. But at some point, you know, maybe it kind of dies off and it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, well, okay, well, who's actually responsible for yeah. this at this point? Yeah. So and you still have snippets of code out there that people are using from projects that are sort of orphaned or zombie, they're just kind of floating out there and no one's really doing anything with it. Yeah,
1: well, no. so, so we're kind of going um, two different places now. So let me let me try to comment on both because I think it's a great point is that, you know, when you're talking about open source code, and you're talking about projects that maybe libraries that are people are using, right? I mean, that's one of the biggest, uh, you know, areas that we're seeing growth, all this DevSecOps stuff of developers just pulling in all these libraries and and thinking they're secure and they're maintained and they're not, right? And, you know, some of what we do is trying to track vulnerabilities in in those libraries that no one else is tracking, that don't have CVEs that no one's paying attention to. But I would think, you know, what I also want to get back to is your sort of original question of, you know, in our world, one of the things that I learned is that it's if you have a little bit of time, whether it's a, you know, a break, you know, you're taking a little time from job or you've got some weekend time or whatever, you can write some code, you know, check in some codes, do a feature, whatever it may be, and then kind of. Move on with your life, if you will. And that's healthy for some of these open source code projects, right? And you have some maintainers and some passionate people that you could throw out some open source projects, and we could name all five people that are there, have been there forever, that love it, that, you know, whether they're full time doing it or not. But what I see a lot of where the struggles are and my history is when you're talking about intelligence and you're talking about data, it's never ending. It can always be more. It needs to be faster. You don't just take a, you don't just say, you know what, I don't, I don't feel like contributing to open source stuff today. It doesn't work like that. Right. And I think that's the same thing that, you know, if you, you know, again, and I'm, I'm, I can't put peop, you know, words in people's mouth, but you look at even like, you know, the, the, the Nestle story, right? You have the code, but then you're still writing signatures and you're still doing all this work. It's not like you put it out there and it just, that's all you got to do. There's, there's a lot to it. And in the intelligence space, every day all day 365 days a year um and that's the only way to make it right and do it the right way
0: yeah well and 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 sort of the re- the reason i went in that direction from where we were talking in the first place was i was i was kind of looking at uh, thinking of, uh, from the perspective of you know you create something like nessus or nmap or you know snort back in the day and it mm-hmm. It is this open source project and it's just a labor of love and you're just you're just doing something to give you know you've got all these people who are contributing and it's and and it's got momentum yeah. and you're just doing it altruistically but at some point to continue to maintain that and to continue to invest your time and effort to make sure that it keeps up with what it needs to in terms of its own vulnerabilities and patching and also that you continue to add features and capabilities that keep up with the the you know current technology, that you need to be compensated for that. Like that, at some point,
1: like you have hit it. I, I think you have described sort of my journey, right? I, I mean, I have fond memories of of working in the open source stuff, and then that, you know there's there's. A lot of pain that I look back on it too, and go, man, I, I wish I could have got this to work or whatnot. And I think ultimately, you know, with with my sort of view on on open source moving into, um, you know, a commercial offering, was I was just so frustrated with not being able to implement the things that we wanted to get done. I mean, uh, you know, I, I can. You know, I start to get cranky some days, and I don't want to go on a rant when I look back to the stuff well over a decade that we wanted to get done that we've talked about, and we just couldn't get anyone to code it for us, or we couldn't get anyone to do these things for us, or we couldn't collect the data that we wanted to, and we're begging people to try to help us or begging, you know, uh sponsors, you know, you know, and, and to give tenable credit, you know, they Ron was one of the early on people that was trying to sponsor these kind of projects. But even then he would have people come to him and say, well marketing says we're not getting any clicks and I would sort of joke and laugh and say no one clicks in security of course marketing's not going to get the clicks that they want from those kinds of things so I I think it's a tough balance and what I try to um say to some people because I do have some people from time to time that will ask me questions or or stuff and I say you know try to grant a little sincerity that it's a open source is a lot of hard work and people you know start these things out of passion and then at some point it's it's painful to maintain and and not achieve the things that you want to and the natural progression is to try to continue to do good but turn it into a a, a, a business that can actually help local communities that can hire people give people opportunities and then you actually can make a difference in the security world well, so i, I it, it's it's tough for anyone that's worked in the open source world it's it's a it's a tough it's a tough thing to crack right
0: um so y- you mentioned it at one point when you were talking about um, kind of what what risk- based security does and what VolnDB is yeah. about vulnerabilities that don't have cves. so let's let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, you know' we're, you know the security industry we're familiar with Cves and, yeah. and 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 you know mitre kind of you know working to uh, you know have some sort of a agreed upon framework so that we all think you know so we are we're all talking about the same vulnerability um. So where are you at in relation to the CVEs? Like how, 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 how do you, how do you play with you know, like, like what vulnerabilities are you detecting and, and like what, what, I, I, I can't even think of how to ask the question. Right. So just, just answer what you think I'm
1: asking. <laughs> I'll I'll do that. And I'll try to do it with some tact here because you know, it's a, it's a question we've been talking about for 10 plus years, as i mentioned. And one that I think finally, Finally, people are catching up on here. Um, You know, for quite some time, we actually were supporting and trying to help MITRE and CVE get better. And, uh, you know, the honest answer is we've completely given up on CVE. Um, They are coming up on missing 85,000 vulnerabilities, right? And usually when we would tell people, you know, 10 years ago about that, no one wanted to believe it because, you know, CVEs is de facto. There's no CVID. There's no fault. That is not true, right? It's not true. And so we could get some people to agree to it, but they would say, oh, there's no way they're missing anything of importance. And the, the fact is, is that CVE still has a very narrow scope. Um, you know, it's a little bit of like this call to ride the ride, in, in, in my opinion. You know, I, I like CVE. We use it for some things, but you cannot use it for vulnerability intelligence to prioritize and remediate at your organization, and it's even worse if you're trying to do it for third-party libraries as part of a lot of a lot of the SBOM, right? The software bill of materials stuff that's going on. So, you know, I, I would I would tell you this, right? 85,000 bones that are missing. In fact, you know, my team was just giving me some uh, metrics. About ready to release our our mid-year reports for for Black Hat. That's that's upcoming and. So for the first half of the year, about uh, just under uh, 13,000 new vulnerabilities were disclosed. A little bit of growth, only like 2.8% from from last year. We think that's maybe due to still some business disruption from the pandemic and whatnot. But in the first half of twenty one, about 32% of these vulns don't have a CVID. And there's an additional 7% that have an ID, but they're in that reserve status where there's just like no information available. And you know, when we look at that, we're not trying just to flood people and say, look at all of these vaults. We actually, we put all this metadata on there so we can tell you things like, hey, look, you know, of the vulnerabilities released in 21, um, you know, here's the ones that have uh, can be remotely, ex, you know, exploitable. Uh, Here's a public exploit. Uh, here's a, a solution. These are the actionable things for you to do. So we're trying to say, hey, look, the way to look at the vulnerability problem is you want to know about everything. You want to know about everything, and then you want the metadata associated with it so you can determine what you should fix. And and believe it or not, there's some vulnerabilities you shouldn't even bother fixing. It's not the things that you should you should focus on. So that was a little long winded there, but. You not good. We're trying not to throw the baby out with the bathwater. CVE has a purpose. It works well for a narrow scope. But I think what's happened is a lot of security vendors out there, they just don't want to put in the wrench time to do their own vuln work. They take CV and NVD and they go, oh, this is fine. And it's not fine. And, and everyone listening to this um, should be asking their, their security vendors, where are you getting this intelligence? Because pretty much everything that we see is just CVE sort of rehashed.
0: Right. Um- yeah, there's 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 a, a another element to that, you know, which which you just hit on, which is, you know, uh, for uh, I, I don't do this anymore, but for many many years I uh, like when I, back when I was at PC World, every month, uh, well actually even even before there was Patch Tuesday, just every time Microsoft was releasing patches, I would just do like a quick synopsis of okay this is what sure. this is this is what this means that you know do you actually you know should you rush out and do this or you know whatever I would give my two cents. And, um, you know, so I did that every patch tuesday for for sure. a long time, And I don't do it anymore. But one of the things that I kept <clears throat> trying to stress and reiterate is to say, "Look, you know Microsoft just looked at this and and said, "You know we found you know someone told us about this vulnerability. We've looked at it. It's remote executable. It affects this. Therefore, we're saying that it's critical. And I was like, okay, that that is a that is a factor for you to consider." is not the be all end all because Microsoft doesn't have any idea what your environment looks like and what system that vulnerability exists on. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of contextual pieces that you have to kind of overlay on the vulnerability to, 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 get to the prioritization. It's like not everything that's a critical vulnerability necessarily is like a top priority for you to rush out and do right now. You might have, maybe it's not even connected to the, the internet, you know, it's sitting in a closet by itself. Like you don't need to worry about it. Yeah. Uh, and so I think you know that that to this day I feel like a lot of a lot of people who are tasked with understanding the vulnerability data and trying to you know do patch management and and vulnerability mitigation and stuff, uh, a lot of them still don't really get that you know, and, and or a lot of organizations are still getting the prioritization wrong, and and it seems like. You know, there, there are so many elements of cybersecurity where the eighty twenty rule applies uh, on, on like every level. So it's like if you could just deal with the 20 vulnerabilities that are going to be 80% of your problem, yeah. you know, start there.
1: Yeah, Pray to, uh without a doubt. You know, so here's the funny thing. Um, and again, I don't want to be ranty today, but you're sort of triggering all my buttons, man. But, you know, at the end of the day. When we founded Risk Based Security and we own RiskBasedSecurity.com, people weren't talking about Risk Based Security, right? And so what you're what you're referring to is spot on. You know, a lot of people want to talk about the severity of the volume, but that's not an actual risk score. How you should apply that prioritization in your organization. So you know, I get in these debates with with people. A There's a lot of really smart folks out there that think about risk scoring. Some want to have different standards. Some want to put financial things to it. We look at risk scores simplistically as what's the value of the asset, what's the threat likelihood, and then what's the vulnerability exposure, and that can get you a risk score. And and I think one of the things that we do in the security industry is we try to make things maybe sometimes too perfect or or we push them too far where they get so complicated that people don't know how to use them. You log into some of these tools these days that vendors have and if you've ever been on the non-vendor side, which which I was before found in risk-based security, people use very little of the tools. They can barely get them up and running and configure them. It's too complicated and it's not, you know, advantageous to the organization that's trying to just figure out what do we have, which you talked about, you know, asset inventory. What, what do we have? What's out there? And let's put this in a reasonable order for us to take those limited, again, not just security, the right security. You have limited resources available? What should I work on, right? And so I think people are still struggling with that. That being said, you're starting to see messaging now from vendors talking about risk-based vulnerability management, risk-based, you know, it's coming out. And I try to look at it as being flattered, maybe while annoyed at the same time. But the reality is, yes, I I think that risk-based approach, not only does it help security folks, it helps the conversation with the executives at the organization to take them seriously and help them understand what needs to be done right,
0: well, and and yeah, and uh, on on that note, uh, I will say, I don't think I actually like was aware of risk-based security as a company until, like five years ago., Yeah. and I remember when I first heard it, thinking that you know the the, the cart came before the horse, so to speak, you know, that that that, risk based security was becoming a thing. And so you decided to run out and start a company called that to, to, to ride the wave and not and not the other way around.
1: <laughs> Come on, give me a little credit here. Um, no, it, it's been funny, because you know, like, you know, I, I, I've been trying to stay off social media, because I every time I get on Twitter, I you know, I, I get cranky about things. And I'm trying not to be cranky as I get older here. But there was a uh, some some debates the other day, I think on Twitter about naming security companies, these crazy things, right? And we're just kind of literally risk-based security, you know? So, you know, that's in sort of what we've mantra-wise for the whole time. But, you know, it, it kind of is leading, leading us into something I, I want to share with you is that, you know, we've been known for a long time about data from the roots of who we found it. We're all about intelligence. And by the way, not just the vulnerability data, but tracking all the data breaches and all that sort of organizational risk scorings we've we've been doing forever. But we kind of thought, and and I would for anyone that's thinking about uh, starting a, a company, I've got you know lots of thoughts for you on how to go about it. But one of the things that makes my eye twitch is when you say, "Oh, I didn't know about you guys." We kind of thought if you just had the best intelligence, you know, feel the dream style, people will know about it. You know, but there's a, there's a lot more nor t- to that. But where I wanted to bring us is that people have been begging us to give them risk scores and to give them a platform to manage their their assets in. And 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 you know, when we built the company, it was all about us giving our clients and organizations the data so that they could do what they needed to do. And so I I am really proud of us that um, in March of this year, we launched our uh, new platform, which since I really never wanted to build a platform, I actually named it the platform in quotations, and it allows our clients now to upload their assets. We can give them that risk score that we're talking about. It's got a workflow. And so really um, changing, we're known for the intelligence, but changing the way that we can help clients just figure out what to do, and so we're we're pretty proud of that.
0: Well, that's cool. Um, so now let me let me take this in a in a, in a slightly different, uh, more pessimistic uh, direction. <laughs> sure. Um, we we do all these things, you know. So there, you know, there there are there are things that you should just do, you know. Endpoint security and vulnerability management, and 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 you know, we've been beating the same drums for you know decades, and you know, I think for the most part, organizations, you know, att- attempt to do those things, um, and then you have something like you know, uh, where Colonial Pipeline is hit by a ransomware attack because they have a you know, orphaned VPN account uh, with you know compromised credentials. And it's like, all right, you know, what what are we doing here? Like, why, sure. why, we, we're spending all this money, investing all this time. We're checking all the boxes. We're doing all of the, you know, quote unquote, right things. And then one guy leaves one VPN account open and everything's screwed.
1: Yep. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's pessimistic or just fact, right? Because at, at the end of the day, I think one of the things that's kind of made my eye twitch over the years is you can talk to 10 different security people and say, what's the number one thing I should focus on? You're gonna get 10 different answers. Oh, and by the way, spend millions of dollars and you're still gonna get hacked and have a breach. like, what do you expect, right? So the, you know, just the expectation that, you know, it's an arms race, we're losing, and it's gonna end poorly for you, no matter what you do is, it's, it's tough. Um, but I think that does go back then to, you know, where to focus and sometimes the new hot, you know, whatever technology or thing or whatever you need to do, you know, might not be the most important thing for you to prioritize. It, it, it just it just might not. Now, you know, uh, um, data breach tracking for us, we do that as well, right? And we just finished up our uh, uh, mid year report, um, and we're about 1,767 7, publicly reported breaches for this first six half of the year. That's a 24% decline compared to last year, this, the same time. Okay, so it's really kind of interesting because. You know, the feeling of how dire security is right now with some of these major events and ransomware and those kinds of things. But in terms of you know the frequency of what we're seeing, it's it's decreasing a bit, right? Um, same thing on the vulnerability front. You know, I, I think about that as well. You know, the volumes only have increased a bit, but how they're coming out all clumped together on Microsoft Patch Tuesday a lot, um, it's feeling very overwhelming. You have limited time are, are you aware of some of the stuff that we did about uh, some of the reporting we did around the vulnerability fujiwara by a chance no all right so if you think about the the term fujiwara that's describing when two hurricanes kind of come together right and so we dubbed you know a year or two ago the vulnerability fujiwara because oracle with their you know their quarterly was also re- happened to be releasing on three dates the same day as microsoft patch tuesday so you were getting this holy cow look at all this stuff right? and
0: adobe follows the same patch schedule too
1: well, 100%, but but here's what here's what's crazy it's not just adobe now it's like 12 to 15 vendors that are all dumping on patch tuesday you look at some of our stats and you see normal volume disclosures right so look like if we if we average it right you're talking about maybe 80 volumes uh 80 new volumes per day that someone needs to deal with but there are some days where there's Three, four, five, 600 volumes that get dropped, and a team has to not only go what in the heck, but power through all of that so quickly. Instead of sort of, you know, you think about operations management problems, like you know, volumes come out over time, and I, so the the load of things are coming out, and the the severity of breaches is making it feel really crazy. We're actually, in terms of numbers, not that that means everything, isn't showing some major significant increase.
0: Right. Well, and you you talk about you know, kind of the hot new tools and stuff, and you know, even when I was working in security, like you know, I would go do uh you know go go see a customer and and do like you know a, a security assessment kind of thing, and 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 there'd always be someone there who would just be, you know basically be like you know cut to the chase, just tell me what you know what tool do we need to buy, you know how yeah. how how much money you know who do I write the check to. And I would always come in and go, well, let's start with, you know, hold up. <laughs> let's start with what you've got. Yeah. Are you actually using it? Like, are there are there features in here that you you're just not even using properly or you've misconfigured it? Because why would you want to spend money? You you literally already have things that do that. And, and I say I feel the same way about like Microsoft Office and stuff, too. I'm like, you know, there are so many features in Microsoft Word that. I, I mean, I make my living in Microsoft Word and I still don't know what 90% of the stuff is. Yeah. And and yet someone else will come along with a tool and it looks flashy and you're like, wow, that's really cool. I, you know, I actually get that. And then you find out, well, yeah, Microsoft Word could do that if you just looked around. Um, you know, and so I, I, I think there's there's an element to that. And there's also the, you know, anytime a company does get compromised or breached, um, I feel like, often the the push from the c suite is is sort of like well here's here's a blank check go go buy the t- whatever tools we need to make sure that doesn't happen again and i think they, you know security people and it people need to need to do more to kind of take a breath and take a step back and say well hold on it's not just about cutting a check and buying whatever's the new, new the new cool tool let's actually try to understand what went wrong and what tools do we already have that we're not using, or what? Maybe it was a process. Maybe it's not a tool. You know, like you buy all the greatest tools in the world, but again, if Jim in Kansas leaves his VPN account, uh, you know, open, then it's not going to help you.
1: Yeah, yeah. You got several really important points in there, and I and I think, yeah, understanding what you have, and understanding that you may have wrote some checks and bought some stuff, and then you just think it's going to work and just leave it there. You know the these tools need care and feeding, and it's got to be a process. And in many cases, sometimes the technology is the easy part. It's the people process part that's the, the, the struggle, right? And so, even even if you can have a blind check, there's some companies that can't even find the right people to come work, right? So, so there's a lot going on there. Uh, I completely agree with you. I think in many ways, you know, vendors are to blame for. Um, you know, trying to put all these like little features in and things in and not focusing on the core. And so, you know, look, I've been telling people we've been foundational intelligence from day one, you know, for quite some time in the 10 year run, you know, vulnerabilities and data breach stuff, supply chain stuff wasn't sexy, wasn't hot. And now suddenly, you know, what's old is new and hot again. Right. So I I think there's a lot of that in terms of marketing and, and the industry and Oh, this new thing what's that i need that and then people will get these things and realize i have this tool and like it hasn't made a difference in my life or made my life easier i think the other thing i want to call out to and, and a lot of vendors won't like this but we've been doing a lot of things uh that haven't been working for quite some time and we need to move away from those strategies instead of just you know saying oh that's what we keep doing you know we've been pushing for you know a decade now that volume scanning you know, that's not a good, no one likes phone scanning, right? We used to do it because that was the only thing that we knew how to do, but you don't talk to anyone that likes running phone scanners in an organization, right? So when you start thinking about these concepts that are coming out about shifting left, and that's just not a DevSecOps concept. That really is a concept of, yes, it's painful to know where your assets are, but if you put in the time and work with the technology team so that things like, you know, containers and virtualization, you know, you can know what you have, if a new vuln comes out in Apache 1.0, you don't scan your network for it. You go, where are we running Apache 1.0? Right. And then you can prioritize and move it. And so, you know, we've been preaching that for over a decade now. Of intelligence overlap with what you know about yourself can drive, you know, save money, focus on things quicker. Now, I'm not saying don't ever use a vuln scanner. They have value. They'll find misconfigurations. They can seed your asset inventory. I mean, but but just to sort of say, well, we've always done that way. Uh, right. You know, and I run into a lot of people in the at companies that we speak to that they only know that, and so they're a little concerned to get out of their their comfort zone. You know, they're an expert on this, and they're an expert on just this tool. They know how to run that tool, and some people are great at the tools, but not stepping back to go, "What's the what's the security problem we're trying to solve, and how can we do that with you know it gives us better outcomes?"
0: Right. And there's an, there's there's also an element of just fundamentals, just, you know, you know, going to like, say the, 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 the sans top 20 or, you know, and, and, or, or, or following like a NIST framework and just saying, look, look, there are certain things again, going back to my 80, 20 rule thing, like if you just did these things semi well, you could eliminate 80% of your risk. Um, and, and, and if you don't do those things, semi well, no amount of buying flashy tools is going to help you um and you know it's like i you know, i i i don't golf nearly as much as I, i'd like to but uh, i i use golf as an example because uh my my clubs are forever old like just eons old and there's no excuse for my clubs to be this old um but when i when one time when i was thinking about buying new clubs i said you know what i really should actually play more golf and get better at golf before i invest money in the clubs because the clubs are not going to fundamentally change my game like it's, and that, and that's, and that's where I'm going to draw the correlation to the tools. It's like, you have to have the foundation. You have to have the fundamentals down. Once you've got that, there might be some things in those tools. If you configure them properly and use them properly, that can take you to a next level I'm not saying that those tools don't have value, but you've got to have the foundation first. And the same thing with, you know, my golf game, like, you know, might, might, might some new irons help. Yes, but not if I don't know how to swing the club.
1: Here's what's funny, and, I, and I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a, a counter golf thing back at you because uh, thinking about black hat coming up here, uh, I too used to love golf, and now uh, I rarely play. And when I do, I get cranky, and I have one good shot, and then I decide I still play golf again. But I was told that, hey, Jake, the reason why you're not doing so well at golf is because the clubs aren't fit to you. Therefore, you're your actual swing, you're having to modify versus you got a nine So I actually went out to the Callaway Golf Center when I was at Vegas. I kind of ditched everyone to get fitted. And they said, oh, yeah, you can't use standard clubs because you're taller and you need a little bit more. So totally agree with you, but it was funny to hear you say the golf thing because I had people say, oh, no, you if you had the right tool, then your process and you as a people would fit better. So I, I don't know if there's one right answer here, but but I would, I would definitely say that the self-reflection of, a, of an organization should happen, right? And if you've got the right tools and you're not just using them, great. Use the tools properly. But if the tools don't fit you, then then maybe it makes sense to find the right tool. I don't know.
0: Well, and to your point about, you know, we just do what we do, it's like there's sort of this accepted baseline of, you know, if you're starting from a greenfield organization, it's like, okay, well, we need uh, some kind of an antivirus uh, product on the endpoints. We got to have a firewall, maybe a spam filter. You know, it's like, and no one's really stopping to think, okay, well, have those things actually worked? Like, we've been doing that for 20 years. Has has that actually stopped anything?
1: Well, you remember at one point, antivirus was dead, you know, long live, you know, endpoint or whatever. So, you know, it's it's funny to see kind of how it cycles through. But, you know, one thing that I've been saying a lot here Uh, recently again, but we've been saying it for a long time, almost feel like a a broken record about it is, you know, in many ways, the security industry likes to treat symptoms, not root cause, right? So, um, you know, if you're you're sick and you're not feeling well and you have a cough and someone's like, oh, I got some great cough syrup for you, I'll get that cough under control. Wouldn't it be great to get healthy, right? And if you think about that in terms of vulnerabilities and a lot of other things, people want to get good at patching, but guess what? If your vendors produce secure code, then maybe it would reduce how much patching you have to do. Right. But no one wants to talk about that. They want to, you know, the industry's pushing all these things that are like buy our solution. Now it's we're going to orchestrate all your stuff that needs to get done. Right. Versus what if I didn't have to do all that stuff because software inherently came secure. How about that?
0: Well, one of the, one of the things that, uh, you know, I mean, uh, my 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 day job is with is with Cyber Reason, so I'm not trying to explicitly pitch Cyber Reason. But one of the things I, I, I appreciate about the concept of XDR and where kind of where companies are starting to go with XDR, not just Cyber Reason, but you know, other companies as well, is that each of those tools, whether it's antivirus, a spam filter, a firewall, a uh, you know, patch management system, they all are they they all kind of fall into the 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 pitfall of being a hammer and seeing everything as a nail. And they only know like their little like microcosm of the world. And so, you know, like an antivirus sees a thing and goes, "Oh, well, that's a virus. But you you kind of need to step back and especially with with some of the the you know more complex, threats and they're like multi-stage threats and stuff. And it's like, it's not enough to just know, okay, well, what was the exploit that happened on the endpoint? It's like, you gotta step back and go, okay, but yeah, but where did it come from and what else did it do and, and, and have a, a kind of a bigger picture on it than, you know, and, and, and your, your, your thing about the symptoms is what reminded me of that. It's like each one of those tools, each, each, each point solution by itself is basically designed to treat a specific symptom. And you need something else, or someone else. You need some, you know, some other process, or 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 platform, or tool to step back and say, okay, well, how do we look? How do we link all these things together? Yeah, a cohesive whole, and then try to and try to actually solve the problem.
1: Uh, I completely agree. And 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 people being in silos, you know, in security is, is an issue. And if we're all looking at this, the same data, the same tooling, whatever it is, to make these collective decisions, I think it makes a lot of sense. But it, look, if we right now i don't know about you but ransomware seems to be the only thing people want to talk about right and so you're starting to see the marketing in companies oh we'll fix ransomware for you or what what can you do to solve ransomware for me is it solving ransomware or is it the underlying issues that are leading to ransomware events and i, I think that's the sort of struggle struggle as a as a company i under, as 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 running a company i understand that i'm getting asked how does how do we handle uh, ransomware things? And by the way, the Vuln stuff does, the breach stuff does. We track every single time there's an event that has ransomware and how it occurred. We're looking at software and types of software that would likely be used in a ransomware event. But I'll tell you where we fell down is you don't go to my website and I don't say, our intelligence stops ransomware, right? And you're starting to see some of those kinds of things. When I think some of it is, is foundational security things that we've been talking about will lead to those better better outcomes.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so yeah, I, I know you know you guys have the you know, you'll be at Black Hat next week. You've got this report coming out, so I'll actually be you know circling back with uh, you know you you or your team to take a look at that uh, yeah. and talk about that when the time comes. Um, but kind of like what what are you uh, what are you looking forward to with Black Hat? And I realize this is a, this is a weird year for Black Hat. You know, I mean, last year was just virtual. This year they're doing hybrid. Um, you know, who knows what the actual in-person turnout is going to look like. Yep. Um, you know, but I imagine, you know, the, 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 there's also the virtual aspect, you know, so that doesn't really help with like the booth, you know, the, 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 the expo floor and the booths, you know, but, yep. uh, yeah, it's just kind of what, what, what do you, well,
1: what, I mean, I, I think for security professionals that are seasoned for people trying to get into security as well as security vendors, this is a. This is an odd time still, and it's really tricky to navigate the situation. Um, we've been watching things for a while, trying to figure out what the right thing to do is for our staff, for our customers, and yeah, we're we're going to Black Hat. We 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 paid for a booth two years ago, and um, you know, Black Hat's been a, a little bit of a challenge to deal with on you know what the right thing to do is, and turnouts and costs and all those kinds of things. But you know. They have a business to run to and they're pushing forward with the in-person. And I think you, you've you got a lot of people that are passionate that there should be no in-person. And then you've got a lot of people that are really longing to get back in person. And so, um, you know, we're trying to take every precaution we can for our team and any, you know, customers or prospects that want to come talk to us. Um, but I but I do believe that what we have found, and, and, I, and maybe I'll say more me personally, is that, um, you know what? Security people tend to be relatively introverted folks. I would say, if I'm generalizing, maybe with some extroverted tendencies, and then they they have too much people time and they want to go back to hiding, right? But there is this sense of community that I've grown to love over the years, and it, it without the conferences that were bringing us together to share those experiences, et cetera. It's it, it's been a it's been a gap in my life, um, right. and so. I got to tell you, I know there's a lot of debates right now about work from home forever, virtual conference. We'll never see anyone in real life ever again. We don't need to. I think that's unhealthy for our community. You know, I don't want to put anyone at risk. You know, you and I were sort of kidding. Everyone has their own risk model of, of what what they what's appropriate for them. And as everyone tries to figure out this situation we're still in with this pandemic, but but I um, am longing for seeing uh, old friends. I'm longing to meet new friends. And I think some of the best Things for my career have been those hallway conversations, um, and so I'm I'm hoping that we're gonna we're gonna get get the community back together. So, look, I will be there. I, I hope it's the right decision, and that um, you know I don't have any issues, or my team doesn't have issues, and I hope no no one at Black Hat does. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to being able to, to see some people, and I hope some people are able to show up.
0: Yeah. I, I agree. And, and I, you know, like I said, I, I, I had intended to go. Um, I will not be at black hat. Um, I'm still, you know, knock on wood, fingers crossed uh, that uh, come RSA next year that, uh, you know, we will have turned the corner more and that that will be doable. Uh, so I, and, you know, and there we and there we have the security bloggers meet up and, and stuff. And it's like, you know, that that that's the re- I, I could everything else at RSA is a, is, is negotiable. I, I don't care about it you know, any, anything else, it, it's all about the security bloggers meetup, and everything else is just gravy.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we continue to uh, get through this and, and get back to some in person things. Uh, I, I will also say from everyone that I've talked to, I, and I think you also know this, but I also run RVA SEC uh, here in Richmond, Virginia, uh, conference, and we've been trying to, you know, navigate it on the conference side too. So I've seen kind of both sides of you know, Attending conferences, speaking at conferences, maybe there's more than two sides. You know, exhibiting at a conference and running a conference. You know, there's a lot to consider, and there isn't a, a simple answer for it. But, you know, with 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 our community needing to engage, I think when we go back to social media and send sending emails, we sort of fracture and divide. And I think when we bring each other together, uh, we we're all in this together, and we actually do care about each other. And there's new people that we need to get in, so I, I'm hoping that this is a positive thing and we can get back get back to engaging in in a in a good fashion with the community. All right.
0: Well, I want to uh, you know thank you for taking the time. It was uh, a a fun conversation, uh, and uh, you know, uh, best of luck at Black Hat, and uh, I, I hope, like I said, hopefully uh, we'll be uh, at, at RSA in person, and uh, we can uh, we can we can officially meet.
1: Yes. Yeah, I feel like we've met, but we can re-meet. And by the way, um, I, 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 again, everyone has their own risk model, but if if I've known you forever and you're at Black Hat or you're brand new and I haven't met you, come find me. The first beer or root beer is on me uh, and we'll safely uh, uh, talk about security. So, and I, and I look forward to seeing people at RSA and, and thanks for having me on, it was a great conversation.
0: All right, very good, cool. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, Please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.